Hey, what's up? It's Josh. I just wanted to say a quick word before we get started with today's episode. Uh, first of all, I'm very excited about this episode. It's been a long time in, in the making, and uh, I'm excited to get it out there to you. Um, our subject is the legendary Chris Farley, and our guest is Conan Ryder and all-around great dude, Mr. Brian Stack. This episode is a little different than our previous episodes. First of all, we recorded the introduction without Brian, uh, which turned out to be a good thing. And then I sat Tim down to watch the Best of SNL DVD as well as Tommy Boy. Then we trucked it on into the Conan Studios to talk to Brian about his late great friend Chris Farley. So, as you'll notice, this episode is not so much Tim judging the things I'm showing him as it is about Tim and I listening to Brian's stories. And I think that's for the best. Uh, uh, And I think, you know, spoiler alert, Tim liked Chris Farley a lot. Uh, So, I hope you like it. Thanks for listening. Tim Chang was born in 1991 and proudly admits to knowing nothing about anything that happened before 2003. Sheltered, innocent, and unaware, this is one man's attempt to show Tim Chang the wonders of the world around him. This is The Education of Tim Chang with your host, Josh Simpson. Hello and welcome to The Education of Tim Chang. I'm Josh Simpson. And I'm Tim Chang. The star of the show. Woohoo! So today, I'll be introducing Tim Chang to one of my favorite comedians, uh, Chris Farley. Chris Farley. Yep. Okay. So, what what do you... I asked you a little bit about what you knew about Chris Farley beforehand, but what did you... Tell me again. So, Chris Farley, all I know is that this guy, Chris Farley, uh, was on SNL a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And that's all I know. Just that he was on SNL? Yeah. You don't know what he did on SNL or anything he was famous for? Nope. You don't know what he looks like? Uh, he's an old white man. <laughs> an old white man? <laughs> is he? I don't know. S- no, wh- no, he's not old. Is that an old white man? <laughs> no. Old? When he- okay, first of all, I feel like you maybe don't know that Chris Farley's dead. Oh, you didn't know that, did you? I had no idea. I thought he was still alive. No. He died, uh, I don't remember the exact year. It was, I think, in the early, maybe like, uh, I think it's like late 90s, somewhere late 90s. in the late 90s. He died when he was 33 years old of a, of a drug overdose. Oh. So that's, that's, the, uh, that's, that's the dark side of Chris uh-huh. Farley. Uh, uh-huh. uh, yeah. Um, but there's a lot of a bright stuff about him as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's good that, he, that we got that out of the way, I guess. Oh, wow. So he, yeah, he died too young. He died when he was 33 and he'd already made a name for himself, spending like four or five years on SNL. Uh, mm-hmm. he'd done a bunch of movies. He was wildly popular. He was just one of those comedians that everyone loved, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, I guess he had a dark side that no one knew about really. Um, so so you don't you you can you couldn't paint a picture of Chris Farley for me. No, um, the first thing that comes to my mind is Steve Martin. Okay, they weren't on SNL at the same time. Okay, but like the I just picture Chris Farley looking some somewhat like Steve Martin. No, I'm probably wrong, right? No, you're wrong. Yeah, Chris Farley was uh, a big man. Uh, uh, he was born in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, where I'm from, where people are just a little bigger <laughs> in general. Um, uh, yeah, he was a he was a fat guy. Oh, he's and, a fat guy. Yeah, and he would and a lot of his. Uh, but that's like calling Chris Farley a fat guy is like calling 
the universe pretty cool. Like, <laughs> like it's okay. like he was more than. I'm not saying he's even fatter than that. I'm saying that there he was so great. Like that was just one element of his comedy was that he was he was big, uh, but he was in my opinion one of the greatest physical comedians that's ever lived. Like, mm-hmm. in a just a more. Uh, Especially in like the more the last twenty years, he's probably one of the best physical comedians that's ever that's been around. Uh, you could argue, I guess, that like uh, Charlie Chaplin and you know Buster Keaton in the in the old days, and I'm just saying nonsense. Been <laughs> Peter no, Sellers, no, I, I know that. Uh, but like like those are regarded as like they, they did physical comedy when it was just doing that. Chevy Chase was a good physical comedian, but Chris Farley was just so funny. Yeah, like he, you'll see, uh, uh, you'll see. Um, uh, on SNL, he did, I mean, he did a bunch of famous characters, but, uh, uh, we're going to show you the best of the SNL DVD, uh, cool. and then we're also going to show you one of his movies. Uh, oh, he did a movie too? He did a bunch of movies. He What's did, his pro- comedy partner was like David Spade in, in his movies most of the time. Okay. Do you know who David Spade is? Yeah. That's one of his contemporaries, like along with like on the show when he was on the show I think Chris Rock was the same time as him uh, Sandler was for sure on there um, David Spade uh, Rob Schneider I guess so that that was kind of who he was he was in that crew is what I'm trying to say and um, w- like when he was still alive performing at SNL was he as big as like Kristen Wiig or uh... I'd say yeah okay I'd say for sure um, I mean Kristen Wiig I think Bridesmaids maybe was regarded as like a there's maybe like more generally popular than like Chris Farley's movies but at the same time Farley's movies he had like three number one box office movies oh I, like I th- I've, I've, I just read part of the Chris Farley show the book and they mentioned that in the beginning I'm pretty sure I don't know I was, it had to be had to have been Tommy Boy and Black Sheep I'm not sure what the third one was probably Beverly Hills Ninja mm-hmm. um but I'm not sure offhand, uh, and I'm not going to look it up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, he he was huge. Was he huge. was huge. He he was he was the biggest one on SNL. That's crazy. I just I never thought because I've heard of his name, but I never knew he was like a like the guy on SNL. I've always kind of like I thought he was just like a, like one of the side like side performers, mm-hmm. the ones who don't get that much you know screen time, but they're kind of like uh, the backup to the show, I guess. Like I don't know. Like there's Andy Samberg and there's Kristen Wiig and Tina Fey, like Amy Poehler, like those like those actors like on SNL, they were like the the lead male or female, right? And so I guess I thought Chris Farley was like a, a Keenan Thompson, like how he is right now. Um, like in that well, Keenan gets his own stuff sometimes, um, but Farley was had his own. He had yeah. his own for sure. You'll see one called the Chris Farley Show. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, like, cool. that was a sketch he had. Like, he was... He, he did all sorts of stuff. I also want to stress to you, like, this time, you know, this is from, like, probably the same era as Seinfeld, like, 1990, like, when he was on the show. Mm-hmm. And I know that your 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 complaint with things has been, it sounds old or whatever. But this one, I want I want you to put that aside and, and focus on just the comedy of it. Because yeah. Chris Farley is not only a great sketch comedian on SNL and, and regarded as a, like one, a great comedy superstar, movie star, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. He was an improviser. That's how he started. He started at the Second City in Chicago. Oh, um, taught by Del Close. Yes, he was. Taught by Del Close. Uh, he was kind of an instant star. But we have a very special guest who's going to talk to us about this man. Right. Um, and I couldn't be more pleased to have him 
Uh, I thought it was Chris Farley until you told me just a few moments ago that he's gone. I thought you were kidding about that. <laughs> no, I wasn't. I thought Chris Farley was still alive. I that was <laughs> well, we all wish he was. I'll say that. Yeah. Um, uh, the guest on today's show is Conan writer Brian Stack. Oh. Who was a personal friend of Chris Farley. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, so he, he, he went, he, he came up with him, I think it was at The Ark, was the improv theater they, they studied together at Madison, mm-hmm. uh, and then they did a little work together at Improv Olympic, and I think the Second City as well, in Chicago. He came up with them. They're wow. friends. So, I, 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 I'm excited. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm really excited now, too. That's, all, that's amazing. Yeah, um, um, so we're going to go down to the Conan Studios and, and talk to him in a little bit. Cool. Um, I feel like I should just give a little background on him. He's been with the Conan Show, I think, for something. I want to say like over over ten years. He's he's yeah. been there since the days of late night. Uh, he's uh, he he's on the new show on TBS. We were I worked with him for a little over a year. You were there interning for a little while. I don't know if you ever did. You ever interact with him? Yeah, you did. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, here's what I'll say about Stack. He's hilarious. He does all. He he's one of those guys that like com- makes a sketch better in rehearsal. Uh, and and plays all sorts of characters on the show, and he's just great. He commits really hard, and he plays characters, and like uh, he's always up for 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 doing something, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially if it's like about the history of comedy, because uh, every well, he's always I mean, he's, he's always been very like open about talking about uh, like different people from like Second City or his time uh, over at Second City, you know. Like yeah, he's always open you? about talking about it. Is that right? Yeah. Have you talked to him about that a little bit? Yeah. I went, um, like a week, like a few weeks before my internship was about to end, like I went into his office to talk to him about uh, about improv and. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, I, you weren't. He- you were here. Uh, this was. Um, I only saw you for like ten minutes because I just went up to. I finished. I finished all my duties and then I. I asked if anyone needed help at digital. Uh-huh. No one said anything, so I just went up and was talking to Stack about improv for like an hour or two and I think really yeah I had no idea yeah you I didn't good. I didn't know you even knew him very well no I, I knew him okay yeah. so this is great so you'll, you'll be more you'll be more comfortable talking to him and stuff yeah for sure yeah that is the thing about stack I met him once I was doing a bit on the tonight show uh and I met him in the dressing room because Julie Brister was there and she was, was also doing a bit but she was my teacher at UCB um new stack from New York and introduced me once and I, honest to God, I met him a year, I, a year and a half later, I ran into him. I was taking a tour of the new place on, Con, uh, the new Conan Studios in Warner Brothers. And Stack said, hey, Josh. And I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, how do you remember my name? Like, like but that's just his thing. Right. And he also, like, he's, yeah, he is open to talk about stuff. Like, the mm. reason that I wanted to have him on the show, uh, well, was because when we were in, when I went to sh- Chicago with the Conan show, uh, I, uh. Went to see Brian Stack perform at the Improv Olympic out there, uh, and afterwards we kind of everyone went out for a few drinks, and we ended up getting a cab back to the hotel together. And he was telling me all these stories about Farley, and this is before mm-hmm. I ha- even had the idea for this podcast. And I was I just thought to myself, I got to figure out a way to get him to just share these stories because they're so great, right? They're so awesome. And uh, uh, and then once this thing started going, and I saw he posted a link about Odenkirk talking about Farley, and I just kind of was like. Might as well ask, right? Yeah, this is it. And uh, yeah, so uh, and of and of course, Stack is like the nicest guy ever. So he's agreed to do it. And uh, I can't say enough great things about Brian Stack. Uh, his appreciation for Chris Farley is uh, 
enormous, but also he's an enormous talent himself, and uh, I can't wait to do it. I think it's going to be super fun. So we're going to go down to the Conan Studios and, and talk to him in a little bit. Cool. Um, first, got to show you some Chris Farley, so you know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we got a cram. I used to be the best at cram cramming back in high school. <laughs> All right. That APUS so we're, exam. <laughs> so we're going to watch, watch the best of uh, uh, Chris Farley on SNL, um, and then we'll be back and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about it. Cool? Sounds good. All right. All right. How's everybody? Good, good, good. Now, as your father probably told you, my name is Matt Foley, and I am a motivational speaker. Now, let's get started by letting me give you a little bit of a scenario of what my life is all about. First off, I am 35 years old, I am divorced, and I live in a van down by the river. Now you kids are probably saying to yourselves, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get the world by the tail and wrap it around and pull it down and put it in my pocket. Well, I'm here to tell you that you're probably going to find out as you go out there that you're not going to amount to jack squat. You're going to end up eating a steady diet of government cheese and living in a van down by the river. Now, young man, what do you want to do with your life? Uh, actually, Matt, I kind of want to be a writer. Well, Lottie frickin' duh! We got ourselves a writer here! Hey, Dad, I can't see real good. Is that Bill Shakespeare over there? Huh? Well, actually, Matt, uh, Ellen and I have encouraged Brian in his writing. Dad, I wish you could just shut your big yapper! <laughs> now, I wonder, Brian, from what I've heard, you're using your paper not for writing, but for rolling doobies. You're going to be doing a lot of doobie rolling when you're living in a van down by the river. All right, welcome back to the Education of Tim Chang. We are now in the Conan offices with our guest, uh, Mr. Brian Stack. Say hi, Brian. Hey, how you doing, guys? <laughs> Good. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, thanks for asking me. Um, uh, so Tim Chang... Uh, all he knew about Chris Farley before today was that he was on SNL. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Didn't know what he looked like, didn't know anything. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, um, but uh, I showed him the... Uh, I kind of explained to him that Chris was not only like an SNL cast member and a movie star, but also like he started as an improviser. Right. Which yeah. I think is uh, pretty relevant to Tim's interests. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as a budding improviser himself. Um, so... I guess that's what, maybe let's just start there, like, because you started improvising with him in Madison, right? Yeah, he, Chris was actually from Madison and mm -hmm. uh, had just finished up, was, was finishing up his degree from Marquette um, and living back with his family and, or actually he had an apartment too. Um, but uh, I was going to grad school there and I got involved with this little theater called The Ark, mm -hmm. um, which is now sadly a laundromat, but <laughs> it was a nice little improv theater. And Chris was in my very first group there. Uh, I had 
didn't have the guts to try improv in college, and I forced myself to to try it when I got to Madison, and that was where I did my first performing, and Chris was in that first group. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he was uh, spectacularly funny and, you know, it always very it was always very obvious to everyone who saw him that he was very special you know he just had a a talent that doesn't come along very often you mm-hmm. Know? Mm-hmm. and what was he like as an improviser he was he was extremely intuitive and also uh very supportive and a real good team player but he was so charismatic and had so much presence on stage that people usually their eyes were drawn to him even if he was supporting everybody else it was kind of like stories you hear about Jimi Hendrix being in the background of a band and your eyes just go to him, you know? Mm-hmm. I think there's some people that are like that. Um, I think some people just have a, are just blessed or something with that. And he definitely had it. He had incredible stage presence that I think people like John Candy or, um, you know, a few others over the years. Belushi, I always heard, had that too. Just mm-hmm. that, you just, your eye goes to him, you know? Yeah. And he was... Um, one thing that always amazed me too is his ability to do incredible uh, f- physical moves on stage that would yeah. put me in the hospital. Like he, <laughs> he took ballet when he was uh, playing football to help with his football, and yeah. so he could he could move like a swan on stage. He could do these yeah. he could do real ballet moves, and when you see a guy that big doing a genuinely graceful ballet move in a plie or something and a kick and and bouncing across the stage like a you know like a prima ballerina it's <laughs> it's hilarious but it's also just jaw dropping <laughs> you know you can't, yeah. you can't believe it's you're you're seeing it you know yeah i told tim to pay attention to that a little bit and uh on the best of dvd there's the lunch lady oh right right yeah, yeah he does some thing. of those moves <laughs> now yeah, i know yeah. now i know what you're talking about because yeah. when i saw that sketch he was like being so graceful with his uh with his dancing and the thing is like he's He's a pretty big guy. Yeah. And the way and, the, yeah. and just like how he did it was like incredible. I, I uh, I'm amazed. Yeah, that's, I that's, always that's, was that's, too. That's amazing. And and just a real athlete too. Like he could just slam down on the stage really hard and crash into walls and um, do stuff that, like I said, would have just crippled me. Um, <laughs> but um, I was always uh, just a blast to watch him work. And uh, also one thing though that I think is a shame. Is it because he was such a great physical comedian, I think a lot of his um, very subtle work would sometimes get overshadowed. Like, one of my favorite characters he did in Madison was this weatherman who was a, who felt really bad because he had failed to predict a rainstorm that ruined a little girl's picnic. And he was <laughs> he was getting, I'm so sorry, I, I didn't predict the storm and your picnic was ruined. And he was crying on air and it was just... Um, it had nothing to do with his size or his moves. It was just a beautiful character moment. And he, I saw him do some stuff at Second City years later that was incredibly subtle. And he was a real natural actor. You know, he was. A, a, and that's why I think it's a shame that we didn't get to see him in more different kinds of movies. Like, or you know, he was supposed to. Uh, he was supposed to play Shrek. You know, for example. Oh. You know, and he was supposed to be the, the Shrek was developed with him in mind. And oh yeah, yeah. He, and he was supposed to do a Fatty Arbuckle. Uh, Biopic and, and there was I, some talk of Confederacy of Dunces. I know, too, right? yeah, a lot yeah, of different. That would have been awesome. Well, he he was a real actor, and mm-hmm. I don't think his movies do him justice. You know, I don't think um, g- compared to the stuff I saw him do, like on stage or at, even at SNL, like you just the he had a lot of range. He was a real actor, and not just a, a clown. You know. Yeah, I feel like watching it again, the best of especially. That was really fun to watch again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I was a kid, like 
I would watch. I remember when that special came out in the Chris Farley Best of special that I, I taped it and like wore out that VHS tape. Oh yeah, <laughs> and you know, I gotta say that like uh, e- even though the Matt Foley motivational speaker sketch is unbelievably hilarious on that video. Uh-huh. I can't possibly describe to you how amazing it was to see live at Second City. Like, wh- I've never seen a room full of people destroyed with laughter like <laughs> like that scene did every night. Like Bob Odenkirk was just on Fallon, and he said that I think he said that, like one of the highlights of his entire life was doing that scene with Chris every night at Second City because yeah. Bob actually developed the scene with Chris. Mm-hmm. And I was there one night when the real Matt Foley was there. Chris's friend Matt Foley was a Catholic priest he'd uh-huh. gone to college with, and he <laughs> he would use friends' names for characters a lot. Yeah, when they were he would see them with their family in the front row, so he'd throw their name into the sketch. And yeah, he yeah. did it that night with with Matt and uh, and I just love that it that name stayed. You know? yeah. <laughs> oh, Matt's gonna be your shadow. Here's you. Here's Matt. There's you. There. <laughs> So, did you go down with him to Chicago, or did he, he kind of went before you a little bit? He went a year before me. I, I got there, and uh, I was in Madison from 86 to 88. Chris got to Chicago in 87. Okay. And uh, he, um, I remember he, when he, he called me, he was so excited that he'd gotten into the classes at Second City. That was such a big deal. He goes, uh-huh. I got into the classes. <laughs> Because you had to audition, and I got in the classes, and I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> and um, then I, the next year, he came back to Madison to visit, and he came by, and he goes, I got hired in the touring company. Uh-huh. And I was like, that to me, at the time, and I don't want to forget this because you don't want to get jaded, because it felt like the top of the mountain. I was like, yeah. you're in the Second City touring company. You're working for Second City. And then he probably had the shortest time in the touring company of any actor ever other than maybe Belushi he was only in it for a few months before Del Close put him on the main stage cast you at know, Second City at Second City oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He, because most people tour for at least two years mm-hmm. um, and Chris toured for a matter of months you know and Del Del was asked to direct the show and he said uh, alright but I get to pick the cast and he wanted Farley and um, and and it, it was a tribute to, to Chris and how honest he is on stage that Dell loved him so much because Dell didn't just like funny people. He liked people that were very honest and truthful in their work. He didn't like people that go on stage and are jokey. He, mm-hmm. he wants to see real relationships. And yeah. Chris, Chris, in addition to being the funniest guy in town, was also one of the most truthful people on stage you know and that's yeah. that's what Dell responded to if he if Dell if Chris had just been funny Dell probably would have thrown him out of his class mm-hmm. you know because I've seen him do that <laughs> yeah, seen yeah. Him do people he Dell you know famously would say sometimes if you try to be funny on stage I will throw a chair at you <laughs> and he would you know he would really do that <laughs> um, if people went jokey or went for the easy laugh and Chris didn't go for easy laughs even though they came easily to him mm-hmm. he was yeah. um he was not a jokey performer. You know. Yeah, that's awesome. You were talking a bit before we went around the mics about the first Second City cast, you s- or the, se- the touring company you saw him in? Yeah, Chris got hired in the touring company, and I went to his first show, which was at Second City in one of the resin company stages, and it was the group was just insane. It was Chris, Stephen Colbert, Rose Abdu, who's brilliant, Jenna Jolovitz, who is the character Jenna on 30 Rock is named after. Oh, okay. <laughs> and... Uh, Ian Gomez, who's on Cougar Town, and um, Paul Danella, who's on Strangers of the Candy and mm-hmm. works at Colbert and stuff. It was they were, they were just this incredible 
group that was just the new starting kids in the touring company, you know, um, and they just, it was just staggering to watch them. Um, they were so brilliant. And, um, you know, most of them went on to work in the main stage later on and go on to do other great things. But I'll never forget that. I, they were doing scenes that I'd seen in the main stage and they were doing them better. Uh -huh. they, were, they were doing, they were better, even though they were supposedly like the B team that was coming up, they were actually, uh, they were just knocking it out of the park and um it was obviously there were some real stars on that in that group That's and awesome. uh i was lucky enough to go to chris's first snl too oh yeah which was uh the fall of 1990 and um conan's actually in the the first sketch chris chris is in it was a twin peak sketch and conan was playing a guard that was leading chris into the jail was that what Conan was writing on? Yeah, he was okay. writing on SNL. So, and once oh. in a while, you'd see the writers appear. Yeah, mm -hmm. and uh, I didn't know who Conan was at the time because this was before the, you got the show. But uh, it was only later when I saw the sketch again that I realized it was Conan. <laughs> <laughs> and um, but uh, yeah, it, that was that was really exciting. And I remember I was sitting next to I didn't know who David Spade was, and it was his first show too. And I sat next. They had me seated next to Mrs. Spade, and she was like, "That's my son." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, good for you!" <laughs> but that was that. That's the only time I ever sat in the audience for SNL, and it was very exciting to see. And um, I have Bob Odenkirk to thank for that, even though I didn't really know Bob very uh -huh. well. I his girlfriend Claire was an improv person in Chicago, and she was kind of uh, allowed a lot of us to weasel out some favors <laughs> that's awesome yeah, yeah. It, was, it was really exciting to see how they do the show live and mm -hmm. to see you look down on their heads in some scenes because the set would be right there it was just really cool to see how the because i'd grown up loving the show and yeah it was amazing to be in that room i don't want to gloss over your time at second city either but right oh <laughs> like, I mean, like, whatever you want to talk about <laughs> no but I mean, so you you were at you came up maybe a little after chris but you were you on the touring company i, I don't really know yeah i i got a uh, chris was already on snl for a couple years before i even started working at second city uh mm -hmm. i i worked in at improv olympic in chicago and was in a lot of amateur groups you know just for fun at night and on weekends with actually Andy Richter and um, Brian McCann and a lot of Conan people mm -hmm. were also improv Olympic people Kevin Dorf and a lot of my closest friends to this day including Pat Finn who was I met Pat originally through Chris because he went to Marquette with Chris and yeah. and Pat's all over the, the Chris Farley book um, he was probably he was one of Chris's closest friends but um, Pat and I actually started working at Second City around the same time uh I worked at I.O. for a while, just doing it for fun, and then I was in a group called Jazz Freddy, mm -hmm. with, um, and several of us were hired at Second City out of that group, um, like Rachel Dratch and Dave Kackner and Kevin Dorf and Pat and me and um, my wife Miriam, and, um, and then I, I toured for two years, and then I was in one of the resident companies for two years before working, going to Conan. Okay. So, yeah, that cool. was kind of the time frame. <laughs> uh, yeah. For, I feel like I, I gave, before we came over here, I introduced, right? <laughs> I introduced you when you weren't here. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> but as a, as a Conan writer that you'd recognize as, what, you were like Frankenstein Interrupter, right? Or yeah, yeah, the Interrupter and, and Frankenstein. Slipknot's yeah. one of my favorites. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I've been lucky enough to do uh, some characters over the years, and it's always, that's one, one of the best things about working at Conan was a chance to perform in addition to write, which, yeah. which is something I would have really missed if I was just writing, I think. Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it's always, uh, 
been one of the most fun parts about the job. Yeah. <laughs> and nowadays you play Brian LaFontaine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the worst person in the world? Is that yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was like, I think when I said, I am God's worst mistake. <laughs> and, um, yeah, Todd Levin asked me to play that character originally, and it's been fun. Uh, and, uh, yeah, even though he's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, <laughs> Thanks. Okay. It's so uh, awesome to see you perform, like, characters because you're such a nice person oh thanks <laughs> yeah and it's like i don't know it's so interesting to see you like <laughs> make fun of audience members and uh, i always i always put uh, that that fashion assassin character is always a little um even though i enjoy it it i always find myself going oh i hope they don't really feel insulted you know <laughs> uh, but i think a lot of my my characters i think this is true of guys like andy daly too who's mm -hmm. one of my favorite performers they're very midwestern kind of friendly guys but a lot of their characters are incredibly dark <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, a lot of my characters have horrible lives and were murdered. And <laughs> <laughs> I think stuff that freaks me out or in real life, I just have to deal with comedically in some abstract way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, this isn't really a great segue, but I remember um, in the uh, in when we talked about Chris Farley in Chicago, you mentioned, like, a story in Madison, like, uh, where you were... Uh, you guys were at some party, and you went and sat down on a couch. Oh God, yeah, yeah. I um, th this was crazy. We we had we had gone out after a show that we did. Uh -huh. Our group had done a show, and we ended up really late at night at a party. And I'd forgotten how we ended up at this party uh, that someone had told us about. And we both had a little too much to drink, uh -huh. <laughs> and so we were very tired. And I was sitting in a slumped in a chair, and Chris was sitting right across from me. And on the table next to him was this plant. And I saw Chris take his lighter out, and he was <laughs> fl he was flicking it at this uh, the leaf on this plant. And I was like, oh, he's going to singe the leaf. Uh, I was just trying to process what he was doing. I was, thought he was just going to blacken the edge of the leaf. But what we didn't know was an artificial plant made out of paper. So <laughs> it goes up in a tower of flame. Chris jumps off the couch. It falls onto the couch. The couch catches fire. We start beating on the fire with these pillows. Uh -huh. oh. And the host, the, the woman, uh, the people are freaking out all around us. And then Chris goes, I got to get out of here. I'm on probation for arson. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what I found out later was that it was a very innocent thing, this arson charge. What it was was he had put a... As a prank, he just put a smoke bomb on a friend's windowsill at back at Marquette. Yeah, but it, yeah. it had spun into the room and caught the drapes, and it actually caused a fire. And technically, he had started a fire, but it was very innocent, and it yeah, wasn't yeah. intent. There was no malice behind it. Mm -hmm. But he was technically still on probation for it. So we go, we go hauling out of there <laughs> with the couch still in flames. <laughs> and then years later, I'm walking down the street in Chicago, near Second City, actually, and I see a former student of mine. I'd been a TA in Madison when I was going to school there. Uh-huh. And she said, Brian, and she was like professionally dressed and was working in the working world now. And um, I said, oh my God, Shelly, it's been so long. And she said, I haven't seen you since you and Chris Farley started that fire at my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, it was my student's apartment. I, I was like, maybe she had told me about the party. I don't know. I, you know, it would have been very inappropriate for me to knowingly go to a student's party, I think. <laughs> but um, I, I honestly don't know how we ended up at that party, but... That was pretty crazy. That's so funny. Adrian? Barney? Listen, before we start, I just want to say once again that either one of you would make a fine addition to the Chippendale family. I know you've been put through a long, long audition, and it's been hard. But I think that in itself is a testament to 
how good both of you are and just how difficult our choice is. I wish I could just flip a coin and be done with it, but we can't. We're Chippendales. <laughs> Marcy, music. Let's talk about some of the sketches uh, that we watched on the Best Of DVD. Sure, okay. And then uh, just maybe use that as a springboard to talk about what <laughs> your thoughts on. Sure, sure. Um, so the f one of the first ones they show in the DVD is the Chippendale sketch. Right. Uh -huh. um, and in the in the in the Chris Farley show, the book. Uh, well, first of all, I didn't realize that was his fourth episode. That was yeah, it was <laughs> early on. I remember. Yeah. yeah, like that was that was uh, one of his first things. Um, uh, and some some of the people in the book, Odenkirk and Chris Rock, were like, don't like that sketch because they just think they're laughing at Farley for being maybe the fat guy when there's so much more to that. Uh, I was to be honest, I was always a little surprised by that reaction that yeah. they had, and I respect those guys tremendously, and I I, I certainly respect their opinion, but um, I I thought it, I just thought it was uh, like a star making performance for Chris at the mm -hmm. time. Like I remember thinking he was, and I thought he did it with such dignity, and he d he could really dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if he if he was just out there shaking around. Uh, but he was dancing as well as Patrick Swayze was, and I think that was why the scene was so spectacular. Was because he was he had all the moves. I mean, he was moving like a real Chippendales dancer, and I think that showed his talent. That showed a, a a big, significant part of his, what made him special. You know, he yeah, was yeah. he was a, a brilliantly graceful, um, athletic guy, in addition to being a big guy. So I always. Uh, while I'm, I, I did find myself wondering, oh, I wonder if Chris is embarrassed because he didn't like to show his bare chest. You know, yeah. he didn't like he didn't like doing that. But you wouldn't have known from that performance. And mm, I remember no. thinking, um, he just went for it. He sold the hell out of it, you know, and uh, gave it everything he had. And I, so I, I thought it was great myself. What I got from it was like, he wasn't using his, I guess, appearance to try and get those laughs. Like he was really committing to, to dancing and exactly, keeping up yeah. with Patrick Swayze. And I was like, I was like, that's really respectable and admirable because, I mean, I don't have a lot of big friends who'd be willing to do that kind of stuff. And um, I think it was amazing that he just went out there and just did it without, <laughs> with no shame. I, I'm always, uh, I have such admiration for those kinds of fearless performers, like. I think Chris is one. Will Ferrell uh, yeah. and Brian McCann—they're—they're mm -hmm. they're willing. If it's funny, they're willing to to make themselves look so pathetic. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. like McCann when he used to do his loser character, he would deliberately push his stomach out way further than it really is, just because he knew it would look worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've always been too, you know, timid about showing my white pasty flesh and stuff. <laughs> and so when I see someone like Will Ferrell, like you know in a red, white, and blue Speedo and letting his gut hang out or whatever, I'm just, I just salute, salute them for that because, uh, yeah, I've always been a little bit too self-conscious to do that stuff. And it's, that kind of fearlessness is, uh, it, it, as, a, as a comedy fan, I'm grateful for it because mm -hmm. it makes it, it, if it's funny, they'll do it. You want a piece of my heart? Uh, some of your other favorite sketches, Tim. I know you like the Chris Farley show. 
Yeah. Which I think is like the best example, probably the best example of what you're talking about earlier. It's not quite the weatherman thing that you were mentioning. But that it's but the closest thing to what he was really like. Yeah. And, and it's mm-hmm. based, as you may know, um, the, the writers created it based on the way Chris reacted to these celebrities that would come on the show because he was so <laughs> deferential and and he was such a fan. Yeah. And that he when these these people would come on the show, he would go, "You remember that movie <laughs> he did?" And he would really do all that. So that was really him. Yeah, that wasn't he. They would have probably called it a different show if he was doing a character. That was that's the closest to what he was really like that I've seen in in anything he's done because mm-hmm. he was um, he was like a big kid in, and I mean that in the best way yeah. the way Neil Young is a big kid or a lot of uh, or Steven Spielberg that these people that retain that sense of childlike wonder mm-hmm. about the world mm-hmm. that makes them their work stay vital because it's like they they never they never stop being a fan themselves you know yeah you know where they they, lo- they never lose that sense of uh, wonder as corny as that sounds of just that love of comedy or you know it's the same thing you see in Keith Richards face when he plays a, a blues lick mm-hmm. it's he might as well be 17 again you know yeah, it's yeah, just yeah. It's uh, and that's that's the the thing that I think that the people that whose careers seem to have real longevity seem to have, you know, mm-hmm. they, they never lose that childlike quality. Okay. Okay. You remember when you were with the Beatles and you were supposed to be dead and uh, there's all these clues that like. Uh, He'd play some song backwards and it'd say like, Paul is dead. And uh, everyone thought that you were dead or something. And, yep. Yeah. And that was um, a hoax, right? Yeah, I, I wasn't really dead. Right. Uh, I think, you, think we've got time for one more question. Hey, uh, remember when uh, you were in the, the Beatles and uh, you did that um, album, Abbey Road, and uh, at the very end of the song, uh, it was, the song goes, uh, and in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make. You remember that? Yes. Uh, is that true? Yes, Chris. In in my experience, it is. I find the more you give, the more you get. <sighs> and like Al Franken said in one of the documentaries on Chris, he said Chris was the biggest fan of everybody else. Uh huh. And he said that one of the reasons everybody at the cast loved him was he was their biggest fan. He loved Phil Hartman. He loved Kevin Nealon. He he genuinely loved watching them. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like that selfish thing where it's like. I'm gonna compete with these guys. It was, they're awesome, and I get to work with them. This is great, <laughs> and that you could always see that in Chris's face. And um, he was also very special himself. But you could tell he loved, he loved working with those other guys and 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 those women in the cast. And um, yeah, I think that's the reason they loved working with him. You know. Do you remember anything from like your days, your early days with him in Chicago or Madison? That that like. If you don't, it's totally cool. But like, do you remember anything from your early days with him? 
that like maybe was emblematic of that of like sup- like a big support move or do you know what I'm trying to say? Like, I, I I I do know what you're trying to say, and I I think it was always such a part of him and whatever he did like on mm-hmm. stage like um he would just whatever you you chose to do on stage he would just treat it as such a gift like I remember once we did a silly scene where it was supposedly like some kind of one night stand where he was this woman and I was being very cold to him in the morning and I I like threw some clothes at him and I said there's cab fare on the desk I was just the biggest jerk uh-huh. and he looked so heartbroken <laughs> I'll never forget it on his face he looked like he looked like the most heartbroken, uh, vulnerable woman you've ever seen. And I'll never forget the look on his face. And um, and so it was just that immediate giving back 100%, whatever you give, he'll give it back. He'll react completely honestly to whatever he's just heard. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that Dell and you know, everyone else responded to so much was he um, taking everything you give him as a gift mm-hmm. and then heightening it and building it into something that makes it way better than it was, you know. It's and like listening. It's like true listening in a way. Yeah, yeah like I remember seeing him do a scene with Tim Meadows and Jill Talley where uh, Jill played Chris's sister and Tim was his friend who was African-American and they were they were like best friends and they're, they're goofing around. But then as soon as Tim starts flirting with his sister, mm-hmm. Chris starts getting more and more uncomfortable <laughs> and he's shifting in his chair. And it was some of the most subtle acting I've ever seen because he isn't saying he's uncomfortable. He's just starting to get more and more antsy because he clearly has a problem with his sister dating a black guy, you know. Oh, yeah, And yeah. it's okay to have my black friend. but And it was a really interesting scene about how a lot of people don't think they're, they have any racism. Uh-huh. Or, or, but it might, it might turn out that, that it might make him uncomfortable if it's a dating situation, you know, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And it was a thought-provoking scene, but it was mainly just a really great relationship scene. And... Never forget him. Him just getting more and more. He's shifting, and he didn't play it too big. You just saw him getting uncomfortable, uh-huh. and it was real acting. You know, yeah, and yeah. that was the first time I remember being really blown away by him as a as an actor. You know, because um, it was so subtle. Yeah, you know? and he didn't even want to be an actor in high school, right? That's what I really. <laughs> I think I that's a good question. Um, I think, and I think he fell into it in uh, like Pat Finn. You know, tells a story that they went out and did a a comedy thing in college at Marquette mm-hmm. and it rocked so hard it just got this incredible response and, and Pat's brilliantly funny himself and they came off stage and they both just looked at each other and just were like we're going to be doing this the rest of our lives it was yeah. like one of those life changing moments so I think it, it would kind of was in a I think he had kind of an epiphany in college that uh, it was something he he was born to do because up till then, I think it had mainly been sports. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a great athlete, he was a great football player, and he could. He was real fast and really uh, very graceful and a, a terrific athlete. So I think that was his main focus until, until. he discovered acting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's cool. Um, Tim. Yep. Is it, I guess I'm curious. Well, anything in, uh, that you uh, like noticed in. The, Anything that piqued your interest in the sketches or you'd like to know about? Yeah. Um, I think watching the Chris Farley show, like, really made me realize, oh, he, Chris Farley really can just, like, play characters that don't require him to be extremely loud or uh, be physical and, you know, fall on tables or something. Like, mm-hmm. I think I really liked um, how open he was uh, just as a performer to do all that because I know it's something I'm struggling with right now is like being able to commit 100% to um, 
to play in a lower status, which is um, what he did, you know, in the Chris Farley show sketches. Right. And uh, I think in a lot of his sketches, he was low status. Like that's true. I, I can't think of too many times where he was a high status character. Occasionally, he would do a. a a general, you know, military general Schwartz or something, Kaufner. but yeah, mm. yeah, but but it was usually uh, there was always something so vulnerable about him that he uh, uh, usually seemed low status even when he was high status. Yeah, yeah, and like you said, uh, it, he was very vulnerable in the Chris Farley show sketches, and that was really his real personality. I mean, if you, yeah, that was really Chris. And if you watch those scenes, that's how, that's really how, um, you know, he really was, and. Um, so the ability, and I've often hidden behind characters myself, mm-hmm. as we've already talked about. <laughs> and uh, so I've always found that kind of willingness to be vulnerable as yourself really admirable too, because I tend to um, want to safeguard myself with a wig or or a crazy mustache or something. So I'm kind of hiding. Yeah, yeah. And Chris, you watch the Chris Farley show, and it's the opposite of hiding. It's this is <laughs> me at my wonder. most vulnerable and and um, childlike, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I didn't realize until I read the book was like, like he had like a he rooted for the underdog, I guess is what you'd say, or like he was even like very, very into his faith, like his Catholic faith. He was a real uh, devoted Catholic. Uh, I I I grew up going to Catholic school myself, but I, I was always felt a little more like a lapsed Catholic. But Chris was Chris went to church every week, mm-hmm. and in fact, when I went to his memorial service in New York, I was amazed that there were a lot of these. Uh, old people there that I assumed were just friends of the family or something. It turned out they were these people Chris used to visit every week through the church just to bring food to and keep them company. They were lonely old people that maybe lived by themselves and he would show up like um, to these people that never had visitors and he mm-hmm. would make them laugh and he'd bring them some lunch and he would and he did it every week and I had no idea and I said to his brother Tom when I saw him later I said uh, Tom I, I had no idea Chris did that and Tom said Brian, I'm his brother, and I didn't know he did that. <laughs> yeah. And so for him to do that purely, he didn't do it for publicity. Mm-hmm. He didn't do it the way, you know, a lot of the celebrities go out to their charity things. Nothing against it. I mean, it serves a good cause, but a lot of that stuff's very public, and you, yeah. you, you become the face of a charity, and uh, and that's great, but, you know, the in in real, the, the real... Um, the, you, they, that's often actually in the Bible where they talk about, you know, that ideally your your good works go unseen. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you, they're yeah. they're done purely for the sake of doing them. Yeah. And Chris, in that way, Chris was uh, I want to sound corny or like canonize the guy, but he um he was as true a Christian as anyone I've known. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of his uh, the way he treated people, and he would go to hospitals and help sick kids and make them laugh and. You know, he was. Um, he had. He definitely had his demons, and he yeah. had. You know, uh, issues with that, and uh, and struggles. And he often, you know, from what I hear, felt like there was kind of a struggle, like the things like the the drugs and things like that were like the devil uh-huh. trying to take him away, and the, his faith was dragging him the other way. So I think he 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 did have his struggles, but at heart, he was always a genuinely good. Christian guy, you know, and I, I think um, as true to that as anyone I've known, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. Interesting, kind of like I know the end of Tommy Boy is kind of that way, where it's like I guess he's he's kind of says a thing like to his dad. Yeah, <laughs> and that was based a lot on his real relationship with his dad. His dad is, was this larger than life guy. He mm-hmm. he outlived Chris, uh, you know, which is a sad thing. You never want to. 
yeah. outlive your kids. But his dad was this really big guy, uh, larger than life. You know, Matt Foley was based a little bit on his own dad, like mm-hmm. the blustery voice. Like, anybody want to go to gamble? He would like yell at the he would yell at the kids, and um, but he was very loving dad. But th- their relationship was incredibly close, and the relationship you see in that movie was obviously based very much on their real relationship. He was um, incredibly close with his dad. And they owned an oil or an asphalt company or something? Yeah, his dad had a company called Scotch Oil. I think it I think it was stuff that provided petroleum products for like asphalt and things yeah. like that. And when I first met Chris and he was in my group, his dad was grooming him to take over the business. I remember uh-huh. he was taking a Dale Carnegie class on how to win friends and influence, you know, <laughs> yeah, business, yeah, yeah. business, charming people in business and stuff. And it he, seems like a class he didn't need to take. <laughs> oh, not at all. You're right. Yeah, his dad was a natural salesman too, just like in Tommy Boy. But uh, the uh, yeah, Chris took a turn his dad was not expecting. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's interesting. Yeah, he was being groomed for to take over the family business. Yeah. Yeah. I feel yeah, but his dad was also really supportive, right? He was. Yeah. I think at first he thought you know, like most parents whose yeah. kids go into comedy. Oh, what a nice hobby! You yeah. know, I mean, my, I'm sure my own parents thought the same thing, and I, yeah. I'd probably think the same thing if my kids were doing it. You, it it always seems like people from outer space do show business. You yeah, know? Like yeah, it yeah. doesn't seem like something. I can remember Lisa Kudrow saying in an interview, it wasn't until her brother's best friend John Lovitz got on SNL that she was just like, "Wait a minute, people you know get on SNL." <laughs> <laughs> it, it always seemed like it was people from another planet. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so when it becomes a uh, that it was it was very surreal, you know, when people like Chris started appearing on TV because they were the, they were like everybody's local favorites, mm-hmm. but they were they were local improv guys that worked in basements, you know. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it was pretty spectacular to look back on all these people that went on to do these amazing things. I I'm just curious, like the some of the characters he played on SNL, like the I don't. Oh, oh Bennett Brower, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was that, like, anything from Second City? or? Like? I don't remember him doing that character. Uh, Matt Foley, as, as you know, he did that at Second City. Um, there were, you know, when he would play characters close to himself, they were kind of similar to the Chris Farley show in the terms of the vulnerability. And he would, I remember he did a, a wonderful scene with Joel Murray, mm-hmm. Bill Murray's brother, brother yeah, yeah. Who, in the main stage. And uh, it was a wonderful father-son scene that... Um, was actually imp- it went into the show as they improvised it the very first time, and uh-huh. it was just a father picking up his son in the drunk tank. His son had been thrown into jail for for uh-huh. drinking, and he was underage. And his dad was picking him up, and Joel played the dad. And they, Joel said that they, the way you, because I always figured they had honed it and scripted it and stuff, and because uh, it was such a good clean scene with no fat on it, you know. And um, but Joel said it went in as they improvised it the first time, word for word. <laughs> Which yeah. is pretty amazing. That's yeah. awesome. I didn't. I don't. That wasn't. I don't remember that on SNL, but I think I read. No, it, yeah. I, I'm sorry. They didn't do that on SNL, but but uh, he was playing kind of himself gotcha. in some of those scenes, and you'd see shades of that later on in SNL. But uh, there were some. I think uh, that's a good question. Like I think there were some. Sometimes you'd see him do characters like I don't know if you ever saw that. There's a clip on YouTube of Chris doing a guy an update where he's like so I says to the guy I says I says I says I says to the guy get this get this wait a second I says to the guy I says to him I says to him I said I said I said I said I says to the guy I says to him I says to him he's standing right there get this get this get this right 
and he never gets to the point of the story. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think it was, and so I do remember uh, shades of those kinds of characters. You know, big talkers who are slapping you on the back and saying, "I'm gonna have to buy you a drink with my expense account." You know, those kind of guys, <laughs> salesmen. And I think one of the reasons he was so funny playing those guys is he knows those guys. You know, he, uh-huh. he came from that background of a guy with an expense account <laughs> who's got to buy you a scotch. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Come on over to the bar. I'm gonna buy you a drink. And um, so the reason those characters rang so true is they were right ripped out of his own experience, you know. Yeah. There's something to that Midwestern, like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm from the Midwest. But Me, like, too. I, Me too. I recognized that type. It was like, oh, that can be like a funny thing. Everyone gets a kick out of. Or yeah. Like, that is unusual, I guess. It's or the first time they did the Bears guys. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was f- shocked when I first saw it because I'm from Chicago and I couldn't uh. believe there was a show, a sketch that specific to a region of the country. Like it was so dead on about mm. the way these guys talk on the south side. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they were doing it, you know, and talking exactly like that. And uh, <laughs> the, the D's and the words, you know, like uh-huh. these, them, and those. And Chris was doing a real Chicago guy. He goes, I got a pot, slice of Polish sausage lodged in the lining of my heart. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and he was he was doing these guys that he saw at the Brat House, you know, or little bars in Madison. You know, he was doing or in Chicago. You know, he and he had an incredible ear for for voices too, so he could do, uh, and he could capture people very truthfully. They never looked like caricatures to me, even when they were at the most pounding, broad, pounding his heart. It always looked like yeah. something a human being was doing, as opposed to a cartoon. And I don't know how he pulled it off mm-hmm. because it was often so big, uh-huh. but it was still small. I don't know. He never seemed fake. If I may shift gears for a moment, gentlemen. Coach Dicka versus the Hurricane, who would win? Dicka, Dicka. Hold on, hold on, hold on. The name of the Hurricane is Hurricane Dicka. Everything okay? No problem, just having a heart attack. Almost over. Uh-huh. <laughs> Done. Done. Very good. Very nice recovery. Now, how, how many heart attacks is there for you, Tom? That makes a baker's dozen for me. He, he was always just so fun to be around, you know. Like, he just had so much... Like, even if we were handing out two-for-one coupons for our show out on State Street, you know, uh-huh. in the cold, it'd be a Madison winter, and he would just have you laughing by... He would say weird things to people when he'd hand them the coupon just to kind of freaked them out so that they would take it because people yeah. don't want flyers and coupons so he would say things like see more of your family <laughs> as he would hand you a coupon so they're like why is that guy telling me to see more of my family and then they would take it out of confusion because they didn't know what else to do <laughs> yeah yeah or he would um he would get in the we get in the elevator at his apartment building and he, this is this is an example of how he's one of the only people i've ever seen that could do things multiple times and make them funny every time uh-huh. Like you think with the without the surprise, yeah. But he was so he would commit so much, and he was so gifted as a comedian that he could do the same thing again and again and make me laugh. Like he would do this thing where he'd get on the elevator, and the elevator had a light switch in his building, uh-huh. and he would flip it off into complete darkness and say, "I have something to tell you guys," <laughs> and, <laughs> and he would do it. I, he did that at least five times to me, and it always made me laugh. And and he did he did it with such commitment and such a disturbing tone of voice that he never said what it was that he was going to tell us. It was just, but it was just I had something to tell you. And it was just, um, and you know, it's hard to do justice to how funny he was uh, in person. I remember we were in a bar once after 
a, a rehearsal or a show, and he was making this middle-aged couple in the bar laugh so hard that the husband was falling off his bar stool, helplessly laughing, crying, and he was doing these dance moves with the wife, saying, push away, push away, come back to me, come back to me. I can't possibly explain how it, it really would have to have seen it, but the guy was laughing so hard, and I'll never forget this. He said to him, he said to Chris, what's your name? Uh-huh. He goes, I want to remember this because I've never laughed this hard in my life. Yeah. And he just wanted to know his name, not thinking he would necessarily be famous, but he just wanted to remember the guy that had made him laugh harder than he'd ever laughed. Yeah, yeah. And that mm-hmm. Chris had that effect on so many people, that, especially if you saw him perform, even at the Ark, you know. He was just this one-in-a-million kind of performer. He mm-hmm. was just very special. He was, um, you know, as corny as it sounds, he was a genuinely gifted comedian, as most people who saw him would agree. And, you know, it's funny how he and Pat Finn often had a, I think, a real... Uh, Exchange of of bits too, because they they like when I first met Pat, I was amazed how um, how similar they were in their their physicality and what they would do, and it made me wonder sometimes did Pat do this first or did Chris do it first? Uh-huh. You know, so and they were very close for that reason. But I would go like, did did, did Pat invent that that move? Because uh-huh. <laughs> they they had so many of the same kind of moves, and they had been friends for for four years at that point. So um, I think he he may deserve more credit. Than, yeah, yeah. than he gets for, for a lot of Chris's bits. For being there and helping him through the budding press. Or yeah, like or at least inspiring that kind of physicality. And yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's great. I feel like if I were to take anything away from just Chris Farley, like, or like that, like I love the idea of like people, I think Bill Murray has this kind of quality, and a lot of my favorite comedians, and you, just like you're one of the nicest oh. guys ever. <laughs> but I mean, like really, like just like treating, being in the moment with people it's not just about being like a funny comedian mm-hmm. like it's like about being like trying to bring joy to people <laughs> like, yeah well thanks yeah. thanks for uh, even mentioning me in the same breath as those guys cause no, like uh, yeah Chris definitely he had a I wish I could remember it but he carried around a copy of a thing and people are going to probably think this sounds really sentimental but it was it was read at his funeral by Pat mm-hmm. um, it was a, called A Clown's Prayer Oh, and it's yeah. this beautiful poem that Chris carried around with him, and Pat read it. And all I remember, the only, all I remember is the last line. It said, "When you made my people smile, you made me smile." Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, just basically about God and his relationship with humor and how, um, you know, bringing laughter to people is is one of the best things you can do. You know, and and it's yeah. it, you're kind of doing, even if you don't believe in God or you're an agnostic or a lapsed Catholic like me, um, you <laughs> got you got to kind of give it up for if anything is God's work, you know, making mm-hmm. people laugh and, and making them feel good. What, what's better than that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> anything you'd like to leave us with or just like, I guess we've kind of covered a lot of this stuff, but if there's anything I'm leaving out. Well, uh, not really. I guess the one thing, t- since this is kind of set up as, uh, you know, for an educational thing for a mm-hmm. lot of people out there. Uh, no, it's educational. Yeah, for Tim. <laughs> but um, I think one thing that I often keep in mind with people like Chris or any performer is I think if you are if you find out what it is about you that's funny and not try it. Like, I'd seen people actually try to do Chris, mm-hmm. and some do an okay job at it, but I think what Chris, even though he idolized John Belushi, never did John Belushi. He did Chris. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's about finding what makes you funny and what you know it, and being true to yourself and not trying to do um it, it's it's great to have idols but i think you you do them a disservice when you try to be them instead of being yourself like, yeah you know, the, the being influenced by those people is inevitable but um 
you know, I mean, Keith Richards never became Chuck Berry, even though he idolized Chuck Berry, you know? Yeah. yeah it's yeah. like you know, one of those things where, and Chris never became John Belushi. He definitely was influenced by him. But I think it's uh, finding what you do and being true to that and being honest in your own work as yourself. And uh, I think that's one thing that I I saw in Chris, and I think it's something that I admire in all the, all the performers I admire, you know. Yeah, and it's an ongoing work too. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. and it's harder than it. it, it it's easier said than done because um, we all have our idols and we all try to be like them. Mm-hmm. And um, but I think in the long run, the you, you have to be true to who you are and what makes you funny, you know. Got it, Tim. Yeah, that seems like that's that's like really good. I mean, you can apply that for improv or anything, anything in comedy, right? I, it's I, like a general I like rule. I think so because I think uh, it's really you know finding the other thing too is like Joel Joel Murray actually said this once that you know and Dell used to always say you know find out what makes you funny and, mm-hmm. and wear your characters like thin veils. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons Bill Murray is such a huge star is it, there's always a little Bill Murray coming through. Uh, you know, in him, he he never. It's always shades of himself and that character that we all respond to, and um, it's probably why he's a bigger star than some of the actors who might even be better chameleons, uh-huh. you know, because he's so true to himself and his real personality. And finding out what makes you funny, I think, is the is the key. I'm glad you you came and did this with us. Yeah, thanks thank so much. Thanks, uh, it was a real pleasure, and uh, it's uh, great reliving some of these memories or some of my favorites. Yeah, I feel like. Uh, Tim, you may have actually gotten an education this time. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) a real one. (laughs) Thank you so much, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Tim. It was fun. Well, thank you so much for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, Like I said, when I was in Chicago and I got to share that limo with Stack and he was telling me all these stories about Farley uh, back in the good old days, I... uh, I basically had to start some kind of podcast to get it out in the world. Uh, I just... I just thought they were so cool. So I'm happy you came by and did that. If you want more Brian Stack in your life, uh, check out The Conan Show on TBS. He's, uh, he'll be the one wearing the wig, uh, being hilarious. Um, seriously, he's one of the nicest and one of the funniest dudes I've ever, ever met. So um, real pleasure having him on the show. Um, if you like the show, why not go to theeducationoftimcheng.com, listen to some more episodes, or like us on Facebook, or just, you know, tell a friend. You know what would be really helpful, really, really great thing you could do? Uh, go to the iTunes store, give us a nice rating. Uh, that goes a long way. Um, and now that I got that plug out of the way, I thought I'd leave you with this. Uh, this is the Clown's Prayer, uh, the poem that Brian mentioned that Chris Farley carried with him in his back pocket. Here goes. As I stumble through this life, help me to create more laughter than tears, dispense more cheer than gloom, spread more cheer than despair. Never let me become so indifferent that I will fail to see the wonders in the eyes of a child or the twinkle in the eyes of the aged. Never let me forget that my total effort is to cheer people, make them happy, and forget momentarily all the unpleasantness in their lives. And in my final moment, may I hear you whisper, when you made my people smile, you made me smile. Thanks for listening. See you next time. I wish you could just shut your big yapper!